Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. We are hosts Mackenzie and Micah, and today we are looking at Section 5B in the book Traditional Quaker Christianity, which is about women ministers. And I think we agreed that I will basically just like not have to talk this whole this whole episode because Mackenzie's just going to preach. Right, I don't ahead. know if it's exactly preaching so much as I'm a history nerd. Um, <laughs> I'm a big history nerd. I like I'm one of those people who dresses up in the old timey clothes. Like I mean, okay, my normal clothes are not old timey clothes, just so we're clear. But I do have like 400 and like 800 and like 1200 years ago clothes sitting in my closet. The Religious Society for Creative Anachronism. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> um, so in this chapter, it talks about how, um, from the very beginning, um, Quakers recognized God's public call of women to a ministry equal to that of men. And um, that seeing this as part of the New Covenant. Um, and it, the book makes sort of points out that the idea of women preaching was not part of a social or political movement. It was not... Um, I mean, this was this was like 300 years before feminism. Um, it was not a matter of needing to have equal rights to to speak or anything like that. Um, it was based in the prof- the parts of the Bible where they talk about um, the I, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And the speaking that happens during meeting meeting for worship, as Micah said a few episodes a few episodes ago, tends to be seen as oracular, meaning like an oracle. So you're speaking for God, and so that's I mean, that's, prophecy is that as well. And so the speaking in meeting um, was seen as um, as a fulfillment of that of that prophecy that women would prophesy. The The book also points out that women were often the first ones to go, the first Quakers to go to new places. And, I mean, we were discussing beforehand, um, Mike pointed out that it's really common for women to be missionaries in a lot of denominations. Um, and the, the apostle to the apostles in the Bible is Mary Magdalene. She's the one who sees the tomb empty and goes and tells the apostles, um, he's back from the dead. And the apostles are like, yeah, right. No, no, really, I saw him. Because <laughs> uh, they don't believe her at first until he, until finally Jesus shows up and is like, hello. I'm like, whoa, hang on, you're back. She told you that. Um, I mean, it doesn't actually say that he pointed out that she told them, but you got to figure. He gives some props, right? Yeah, may, maybe at some point we'll have to have an episode on mansplaining in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting. Um, There's a lot. <laughs> hadn't thought about that. Um so in the book, they mentioned the West Indies, Barbados, and early American colonies as places where Quaker women went first. And I imagine for early American colonies, we can think of Mary Dyer, who got hanged because she just kept going back to Boston, even after they ban- banished her multiple times for being a Quaker. But Yeah, she kind of had a death wish. I mean, she knew they were going to kill her and she went back. Yeah. Um, but there's also, I've mentioned before, um, a book that I read that was Print Culture and the Early Quakers. And that one talked about um, the first Quakers in Cambridge. And those were Elizabeth Williams and Mary Fisher. Uh, Mary Fisher also being the one who eventually went and visited the Sultan in Turkey. And they showed up and they um, started, you know, preaching Quaker stuff. And these were two unaccompanied women. 
And and England, if you're not familiar, has a lot of regional accents. And I mean, the U.S. has plenty of regional accents too, but like for such a small space, they've got a lot of regional accents. And so they could tell like these were out of town women from the north of England. Um, they'd heard about these Quaker ministers who were going around and they did not want them in their town. And so the mayor tries tries to like bring them up on vagrancy um, to, so that he can throw them in prison or kick them out of town. And um, the first the question he asks them is, um, you know, he asks, what are your names? And they gave what was a typical Quaker response at the time of, our names are written in the Book of Life. <laughs> wow. Um, so then he's frustrated. He asks, who are your husbands or fathers? Because he's what he, what he wants to know is, who is in charge of you that I need to go have a chat with because he's not keeping you controlled properly? And they answer... We have no husband but Christ Jesus. And he didn't like that answer either. Eventually, the two of them, they get um, pilloried. They, they are tied to a pole, stripped to the waist, and whipped. Because, I mean, I guess for insolence. Um, and eventually, after they're in jail for a while, a couple of Quaker guys show up. Basically, just end up joining them in jail <laughs> until finally the mayor's like, "Can I just can I release you from jail if you promise to leave?" Did they leave? Uh, no, the Quakers argued. But if you just release us, doesn't that mean that you that you had locked us up for for no actual reason? Because doesn't that imply we were innocent and this has been an an illegal arrest? God, they were smarty pants. Oh, they were. <laughs> they were. They, uh, smarty pants isn't the word I would use, but yeah. Um, <laughs> we're trying not to do any swearing on the podcast because we know some people listen to this with their kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, keep in mind the early Quakers were tended to be in the age range of like 17 to 25. Oh, yeah. So, smart Alex. There we go, smart Alex. Um, so, here in the book, um, it points out that Margaret Fell did not argue on the basis of culture um, against the couple of bits in the Bible where um, it says for women not to teach men or that women shouldn't preach. Um, she actually sort of t turns them around or she does a different exegesis of this. And we can post a link to her Women Speaking Justified Um essay, which it's in 17th century English, so it's not the easiest thing to read. But um, she argues that, you know, Paul didn't have anything against holy women preaching. Um, she Okay, I'm just going to cut in here real quick and say I'm sorry, I double-checked my book and I got a little confused in the next part. Um, it's Priscilla Cotton, who is the um, historic Quaker that makes the next argument. Margaret Fell spiritualizes the um, those passages, um, which if you're familiar with basically any Quaker argument that they had with non-Quakers in the 17th century, or, you know, frankly, that a lot of the ones we have now, um, we spiritualize things a lot. And so like, one of the things Margaret Fell says, essentially, is that um, when women are banned from speaking, well, you see, allegorically, 
they're using women and men as par as uh, parallels to weak and strong. And then when you spiritualize this, then you get the spiritually weak should not preach. And well, who could argue against that? And oh, by the way, dude, who's telling me not to preach? You're spiritually weak. Shut up. You're a spiritual woman. Yes, she she would call she would call the men who were telling her not to preach spiritual women, and tell them that that meant that they needed to shut up. Something that's uh, something that's interesting about. Uh, about the early Quakers and, and justification of women preaching was that, and I think Mackenzie's already alluded to this here, but um, the justification for women preaching was not that women were, um, was not that women were naturally, and natural is the key word, it was not that women were naturally equal to men. It was that God does whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And if God wants to use a woman, God will use a woman. And in Christ, men, men and women, there's no distinction between men and women. It's erased. And uh, a place where they went for this theological... So, so Quakers did not disagree that men and women were unequal in, the, in, in the fall. Theologically, where they went with this was that, yes, men, men are, are, are superior over women in this fallen world. Because of sin, and this this state of being, this broken state of being, where men dominate women, is a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden. And so you see this uh, if you go back to I think it's Genesis two and three, um, when when Adam and Eve sin and fall from grace, um, both the man Adam and the woman Eve are cursed, and they're cursed in different ways. And in a nutshell, the man's curse. Is to have to like to have to work uh, to have to work the land and raise food and have the land fight back against him with thorns and weeds and all sorts of things and it's going to be hard for him to make a living. Um, and the woman is cursed with, uh, in a nutshell, having to bear children in a way that is very painful. Childbirth is going to be painful, and they, and uh, her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over you. Um, and so when you see. The first, the, the, the inception of patriarchy is the fall from grace. And so the Quaker, the, the, the Quaker argument for the equality of men and women was not that men and women are equal in this fallen world, but that in Christ, sin is defeated and the fall is reversed. And we've come and that back. patriarchy is part of sin, Correct. basically. Patriarchy Patri is caused by sin. It is a result of the fall. And in Christ, it is resolved and patriarchy is eliminated in Christ. That's pretty much what the next paragraph like in the book says. So, I mean, fewer words, but yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so, well, okay. So something Micah did not say that it does say in the book is that it points out that according to fell for women who were still, you know, in a fallen state then, or, you know, had not, um, been spiritually renewed had not come to Christ or you know that that whole set of ideas that then yes they shouldn't speak um, that the ban applies to them but once you've come into the new covenant um, by being converted convinced convicted etc that then it became possible or then it became you know admissible um, for women to speak 
And as it says, to stop their mouths was to stop Christ himself from speaking. It's an interesting thing because, as far as I know, the early Quakers didn't claim special, uh, didn't did not claim equal rights for women in the sense of like, no, know, they did not. They weren't fighting for the woman's right to vote. They weren't, you know, fighting for like judicial equality for women or anything like that. Um, but it is sort of internally coherent in that um, the equal, as I've said, the equality comes from being in Christ. The equality comes from being free from sin. The equality comes from speaking the truth. And this applies to both men and women, that no man should be preaching or leading without being free from sin and in the truth. In the same way, no woman should either. And so, although in theory and perhaps in practice, the the, the patriarchy was not eliminated from, from the Quaker movement, um, in a really it definitely, it still hasn't been. No, of course not. But, 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 but I, I do have to say that in the early Quaker movement, the early Quaker movement was a much more radical situation than what we have in modern-day Quakerism. Although you do have some things that were written back in the early days, which, I mean, were probably insignificant part to quell the fears of the surrounding culture, mm. talking about um, that women do still have to submit to their husbands. Because once once you had she preaching going on, which is, say, women preaching, that was that was what they called it. This is Mackenzie's favorite word. It is. It's a, it's a hilarious <laughs> word, she preaching. Uh, once you had she preaching going on, then it was... Then, then you have, like, the slippery slope arguments. Oh, well, what's next, huh? What are the women going to do next? Next will, they... be she, next will be she preaching to the sheeple. Oh, jeez. Um, it's like, it's like next, women are going to, like, be single instead of getting married. Or, or I don't know, what if they wear pants? <laughs> what would happen in that case? I'm not sure. Well, the 1970s answered it. <laughs> terrible, terrible things. <laughs> terrible, terrible things like disco? Yeah, you know. If, if, do women's pants cause disco? Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I don't actually hate disco, but I was trying to think of a terrible thing from the 70s. So. Yeah, disco's pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's interesting that, that Quakerism... Uh, at its inception, and again, like a lot of stuff we're talking about here, doesn't doesn't necessarily apply in exactly the same way to later periods of Quakerism. Um, yeah, I mean, because yeah, uh, we, as as we've talked about many times on this podcast, as the movement cooled and congealed, things got much more um, much more um, uh, friendly with the surrounding culture, as you saw happen with the early Christian church as well. In fact, the writings. The writings that uh, in which you see Paul say some things that seem pretty misogynist. Um, I think a fair reading of those texts is at least in part seeing Paul wrestling with um, Paul or his successors, because it's not clear that all the letters are written by Paul. Um, you see Paul or his successors wrestling with what compromises need to be made with the surrounding culture in order to preserve the Christian community. Uh, so you know you, you can't win every battle. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, uh, women get thrown under the bus when they re- when the community realizes you can't fight every battle. So we probably shouldn't fight for women's battles when we have other more important things to work on. Right, and that's those those writings by early friends being like, well, no, 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 we're not we're not we're not talking about like full equality. We're just we're just we're just talking about preaching here. Um, that's that's a lot of co- co- covering your back end. Um, but I think I think I think. An important thing to realize here is that 
humility and submission, uh, especially as the Quaker movement grew uh, and matured, uh, humility and submission became very important values, both for men and for women. And so this idea of mutual submission, uh, I think, came pretty naturally. Uh, and it's, I feel like it sort of, it sort of, it sort of uh, provided uh, a way for women, strangely enough, for women to have equality through submission, because men needed to submit too. And with this general, this general expectation of humility of both sexes, um, I don't know, it's, it's almost like women weren't liberated, men, men were just submitted. <laughs> Mackenzie's disagreeing with me. <laughs> I'm just making a confused face. Um, but, I mean, I think, gosh, we could, we could probably do an entire thing on, like, mutual submission and the way people forget the word mutual. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's an important subject. And um, it's, 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 it's based in scripture, too. Yeah, but it generally all of the arguments against, you know, women's equality, women's spiritual equality, etc., um, when they come from a religious perspective, tend to be like, well, remember, women submit, you know, women submit to men, wives submit to your husbands. It's like, you realize the next line says, and husbands submit to your wives, right? Like, right. Um, but if you're trying to uphold patriarchy, then you like to ignore that. Well, for, 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 for uh, full, full transparency, some places, it says, some places in the Bible, it definitely says, uh, you know, you should submit to one another, right? Mm -hmm. It says hus husbands and wives should submit to one another. But there are there is at least one place where Paul writes that wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your love your wives as Christ loved the church. So, I mean, there are definitely points, like, and there's been a lot of scholarship done about this, and these these passages are difficult for us to understand today because of our lack of cultural context. Um, but, like, there definitely are places where Paul seems to be establishing sort of a great chain of being hierarchy from Christ to husband right. to wife. Uh, Christ is the, the head of every man, and man is the head of the woman. Right. But... Like, you know, I've seen oh. analysis of that that's pointing out, like, yeah. if you use head, if you think of head as being, like, source, then, okay, so if, if getting into, like, really um, theological weeds, sort of, um, the, in the Nicene Creed, it says, through him all things were made, about Jesus, and so if everything was made through Jesus, then the source of man is Jesus, and then if women came from the man's rib, Anyway, the thing that I've heard about, like, that little head of thing mm -hmm. is that it's talking about linear order of Christ happened, then Adam, then Eve, as opposed to it being um, so much about authority. But I know I've certainly encountered, like, conservative Mennonites who ask me about my quote-unquote headship covering. Ooh. Which is not at all how I refer to my a sign of authority to my head covering. <laughs> um, it's for, because of the angels. Oh, there's that confusion too. Which okay, the angels thing. I have heard people say that it's to keep the angels from coming after women and ending up with more nephilim. Yeah. Like I have no idea what's going on with the <laughs> angels line at all. That is a weird, weird line. It is super it's weird. the same little section of the Bible. That's a first, first Corinthians eleven. Um, as far as I am concerned, 1 Corinthians 11.4, where it says women must cover their head when praying and prophesying, well, hang on a second, that just said that women get to pray and prophesy in public. Sure does. So what about that whole uh, women not being allowed to speak thing? Oh, wait. So and, as far as I'm concerned, my head covering says that I get to talk. And this, absolutely. And this is really the problem with, with um, 
frankly, a misogynistic reading of the Bible, and of the New Testament in particular, is that you can't, you cannot honestly read uh, male domination into the New Testament uh, unless you cherry-pick Scripture. Because Paul explicitly, in many different points, talks about women ministers, talks about the activity of women in ministry and preaching and praying and doing all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, like... Right. What's, you, what's the name of the one who was... Uh, Junia, who was foremost among the apostles. Right, and of course, like, in the ESV, which I actually really like the translation for the most part, but it's 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 a it's translation that's supported by the, the Neo-Reformed movement, and uh, and it, so it, like, really works to, like, make sure that nobody is too... make sure that nobody gets any ideas about that being gay is okay or that being a woman is okay. Um, but, like, so it... Different translations try to translate different ways. In fact, um, in really old translations... Um, they even intentionally uh, changed Junia to Junius. Oh, right. Well, that's, that's from what I understand, that was a um, medieval, um, somebody thought they found a typo and they didn't. Mm-hmm. So, like, some monk, back when, before printing presses, back when they had a hand copy, all the thing, some monk is looking at it going, <laughs> the, the monk before me accidentally wrote Junia. That's a lady name. He must have meant Junius. Mm-hmm. And then that's what got copied for several hundred years until somebody looks back at an even older one and goes, no, wait, that old one said the original say Junia, not Junius. Oh, whoa, it was a woman! You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.